Well, what a crowd this morning. Fantastic to see you all and welcome those who are joining us online as well. Why don't we pray as we come to God's precious word. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Amen. Well, some of you may remember the scandal that rocked China back in 2008 involving baby milk formula. Uh, to make it seem like there were higher levels of protein in the powder, it was discovered that the company who were making it had been adding melamine to their infant milk powder. Uh, before it was discovered and came out, 300,000 babies felt ill, 54,000 babies were hospitalised with kidney stones and six babies died. You can imagine how the parents of those children uh, felt about those who had doctored the powder they were feeding their babies. Well, it's that same kind of deep outrage that caused the Apostle Paul to put pen to paper or quill to scroll, you know, as it might have been, because something similar was happening to his spiritual children in the region of Galatia, up where modern-day Turkey is. Uh, that's the region of Galatia there on the map. He'd only been there a year before, preaching the gospel with great effect on his first missionary journey. People had become Christians all over the place and churches had started in every town and city and people's homes and pubs and clubs, I don't know, everywhere. People were becoming Christians in Galatia. You can read about it in Acts chapter 13 and 14, how exciting it was as people all over the region rejoiced at the good news of forgiveness and free access to God in our Lord Jesus Christ and how people had turned from their paganism and from their idolatry, their worship of false gods, to embrace Jesus wholeheartedly. They'd come to know the love and the truth and the joy of the true and living God rather than you know, the slavery to the fakes they'd grown up with. But now, just a year later, Paul's heard that wolves have infiltrated into the nursery, people who had come that were poisoning the, spirit, the yeah, spiritual milk powder of the gospel with a corrupted version, a poisoned version. They were adding stuff to it which was making it into something else entirely and these new Christians really couldn't sense the difference and they were guzzling it down like it was the best thing ever, not knowing how sick it was making them. Uh, it's a passionate letter. It's a letter written out of deep concern for the people and a deep love of the truth of God's gospel. A letter that I think is fueled by compassionate rage. Compassionate because he loves God's church. He loves God's people there. Rage because God's children are drinking spiritual baby formula that's been deliberately poisoned by the sulphur of hell, by liars. And as we study it over this term, God wants us to learn to share Paul's passion for the truth, to stick wholeheartedly to the true authentic gospel, to be fired up for it. He wants to teach us not to flinch, not to move away from the incredible message that God has given to us 
once and for all. He wants to show us how to recognise when someone's undermining it. And he wants to show us how to deal with people, how to deal with people who are leading you astray, but also deal with those who are being led astray. He's how to do that. And most of all, he wants to invigorate us for a life that's anchored in the gospel, that's passionate for the gospel. And it matters so much because the stakes are so very high, which is why he doesn't muck around and get straight to the point, you know, hi, it's Paul, I'm astonished you're so quickly deserting. And there's no prayer of thanksgiving like every other letter that he wrote, it just wham, straight into it. It's like an email from the boss, you know, sending a rocket. And I'm astonished you're turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Now, we're just looking at the opening 10 verses today. And there's three main things that Paul wants us to see just in this short little section. Number one, the origin of the gospel, where it comes from. Number two, the, uh, the power of the gospel, what it is that it does that's so important and why you can't turn from it. Number three, the uniqueness of the gospel, why this is the only one. And to turn to something else is to drink poison. Now, the word gospel comes from a Greek word. All you Greek scholars out there, anyone know the, the word, what the word gospel comes from in Greek? It's one of those kind of famous words that sort of people have a vague idea about. There you go, it's there. Euangelion. There you go. If you watch Japanese anime, you'll know that word. Uh, but it means gospel. It's a compound word like seafood or football. Um, it's made up of you at the start. That means good. It's something that's incredible, something that's beneficial, something amazing. And the second part is angelion, which means good news. It's a message. Oh, sorry, it's a message or news. And so together, it's good news. It's a good message. And from that word, we get words like uh, evangelist, right? Now, if you change the U to a V, uh, you get evangelion, evangelist, someone who speaks the good news. Angel, the word angel comes from there, right? Angel is a messenger, right? In the Bible's case, a messenger from God. And so the euangelion is the good message. And in this case, it's God's good message because Paul starts the letter by explaining its origin in the first two verses. And so have a look there. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. What's he doing? What's he saying? He's laying claim to the unique authority that he has as an apostle, which is not dependent at all on other people, but comes from Jesus Christ himself and from God the Father. In verse 2, he says that all the brothers with him stand behind everything that he's saying. They know the gospel is God's gospel, and they're united with Paul and stand with Paul in endorsing the message given once and for all by God, that it's his gospel, it's God's gospel. It doesn't have human origins. It's not something that any man has made up. And so as we study Galatians, uh, we're going to see that it, it, the gospel that God has is nothing like humanity's ever come up with. Man-made religion always puts us in the driving seat when it comes to salvation, right? It's always about our works, our religion, our efforts, our decisions, our determination, our sacrifices. 
We get ourselves to God in some way, shape or form. It doesn't matter ancient religions, modern religions, worldwide religions, which cultural background, which continent comes from, that is always what people come up with. Right? We've got to get ourselves to God, but not in God's gospel. And you can see that from the power of the gospel that he speaks about. Right? The origin of the gospel is God and it comes back by the power of God to do things that only God in his tremendous, almighty, sovereign power can do. And so have a look at verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see what he's saying about the incredible power that God's message, God's gospel has. Uh, he says the gospel means that a grace can now come to you from God, which can bring you peace with him. That's in verse 3. He, he says that's because Christ has died for our sins and he has freed us from this present evil age, in verse 4, and the result is that glory may now go to God in verse 5. That's, that's the power of the gospel. It does those things. And you need to grasp just how good and how powerful what God has brought about in the gospel before you can understand the horror that it is to depart from it. The Galatians needed to grasp it and we need to grasp it and we need to savour it. Like you know, one of those Portuguese tarts. Oh, so good. You're just like, oh, so good. Um, so let's just dive in a bit deeper. Some turned up magically at Wednesday church this week. I don't know how they came there, but they were there. Uh, and it was like manna from heaven. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so let's just dive a bit deeper into those three powerful effects so we can anchor ourselves there. We're going to spend the uh, majority of our time on the power of the gospel. God's gospel, he says, brings grace from God. But what does that mean? What, is, what does the word grace mean? Uh, some people talk about ballerinas and uh, gymnasts being graceful. They don't talk about me on the soccer field being graceful. <laughs> right? When they say a ballerina is graceful, they're talking about elegance, they're talking about beauty. And, and while the gospel is certainly the most beautiful, lovely thing you can have, that's not what grace means, at least not here. Some people talk about being gracious, by which they mean being thankful, being polite in the way they interact with other people. But that's not what Paul means either. Uh, nor is he talking about uh, giving thanks to God before our meal, which some people call saying grace. Right? Uh, my, my friends have convinced me to have a special grace just for McDonald's. Uh, our Father, for what we're about to receive, please forgive us. Uh, <laughs> uh, people also use the word grace as a title for religious leaders, uh, for bishops. They, they call them your grace. That's so an honorific. Uh, but uh, that's particularly weird, I think, because that makes it sound like grace is something to do with pomp and ceremony and power and you know, being above someone else, right? The Roman Catholic Church talks about grace as if it's a substance 
a form of spiritual money or currency that you can withdraw from God's bank, which you can feel entitled to because you've earned it by doing religious stuff. Right? So you can talk to a Roman Catholic uh, minister or person and they'll talk about the grace of God and you think you're on the same page, but you're actually talking about two completely different things. That's not what the Bible means by grace either. What does grace mean as the Bible means it, as God means it is? It's his undeserved kindness to us. It's unmerited favour. God's grace is about his mercy. It's an outpouring of his love by which he forgives us freely when he actually owes us nothing. We were enemies. That's the natural state of humanity. Enemies in our minds and enemies in our behaviour when it comes to God. Not thanking him, not glorifying him as we should, refusing him his right to rule us and just living how we want. But because of the grace of God where he's poured out mercy on us, we can now be at peace with him. Right, No longer enemies but reconciled to him in his family with him as our dad. There's harmony now. Right? That's the, the grace of God that brings the peace of God. And it's something that only God's gospel can bring about in its power. The second thing the gospel has power to do is in verse 4. He says, it has power to rescue us from the present evil age. Now, how does it do that? How does the gospel rescue us from this present evil age? We read it in staff meeting on Monday and Dave said, that's a weird phrase, like, when have you ever explained the gospel to someone and said, well, it's about the power of God to rescue us from the present evil age? We don't talk about it that way, but that's what it does. Because Jesus gave himself for our sins somehow. When he died on the cross, that's what he was doing. That's where he poured out his grace and it's where we found peace with God, not in our actions, but in his sacrifice. So how does that sacrifice that he made then when he offered his life rescue us from the present evil age? Well, I think it rescues us from the present evil age in at least three ways. At least three ways. His death rescues us from the judgment that's coming on this present evil age. It rescues us from the blindness of this present evil age and it rescues us from the power of this present evil age. Right? How does it do that? Jesus' death on the cross, it rescues us from the judgment on this present evil age. Uh, we're going to see in a few weeks' time in Galatians 3 that everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. If you are going to try and earn your way to God somehow through your man-made religion, you've got to do everything perfectly all the time and if you don't you come under his judgment but in three, chapter 3 verse 13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us God hates him he cannot abide it and we're under his curse because of it and the result of that curse is hell which is the destiny of all who are not rescued from this present evil age but when Jesus died, he was taking all of the wrath and the judgment on himself. He was substituting in for us to bear our penalty and, and shame and guilt, which we'll face ourselves if we don't 
trust him and want him to do it for us. He rescues us from the blindness of this present evil age. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul says, The God of this age, that is Satan, the great enemy, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Without Christ's sacrifice, we'd all remain oblivious to the problem. Oblivious to our need, oblivious to the future. But the cross shows us how serious it is. And as the message of the cross, the gospel of God comes to people, he opens blind eyes. God's radiant light pours into their hearts, much like if you get up too early in the morning because you... We've put the clocks forward, so it's pitch black at six in the morning, yeah, but you open the curtains if, uh, and light starts to come in, or if you, if you slept in, you open the curtains and whooshka, you can just see everything. It's like, ah, blazing glory. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus rescues us from the judgment on the present evil age. He rescues us from the blindness of the present evil age. Finally, he rescues us from the power of the present evil age. For those who trust Christ Jesus, he frees us. He liberates us. That's why we're calling this series Freedom. He delivers us. Colossians 1.13 says, God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Or in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. By the gospel, God gives us a new heart, a new purpose, a new way of relating to him, not as enemies, but as friends. We can bear witness with our lives that we belong to another king and another kingdom, another age, not this present evil age. God's deliverance from the present evil age means we have freedom not to think like this age and this world. We have freedom to be appalled at the things that God's appalled at. And the mindset behind Essendon's decision and the Victorian Premier's vitriol. We'll come to chapter 5 in a couple of months where we'll discover for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand fast and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And we'll see how it is that God works to completely remake us by his spirit at work bearing fruit in our lives in all kinds of ways. And because of all that, because the gospel brings grace, it brings peace, it's the power of God to rescue us from this present evil age, it means that all the glory can now go to God. Verse 5, see there? To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And all the glory must go to God because it's his grace to us, you see, that saves us. It's not our gracefulness or our graciousness. It's his undeserved kindness to us for sinners like us. We're saved by his actions and his power, by the sacrifice of his son. And we're saved for a life of peace and love where we can finally be at rest with him and start to cherish his ways. How could we have ever been so dumb as to think we knew better than God? And yet we did. 
and he kindness, he saved us from that. So if the origin of the gospel is God, it's his gospel, not man-made. If that's the power of God, which no man-made religion or philosophy could ever hope to achieve or bring about, then why would you ever trade it in for a fake? Why would you trade in your Mercedes for a broken down kid's trike with one pedal and a cracked seat and only one wheel? Right? It's not going to get you anywhere. Which is exactly why Paul is so astonished about what's happening with the churches all over Galatia. It's why he's in so much pain for them and why he writes so passionately, urgently to them because they're in so grave a danger. Look at verse 6. I'm amazed you're so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Most of the time we talk about being amazed, we mean it in a good way. Right? When you go to the three sisters lookout and you look over the valley, and it's amazing, isn't it? You get a good back rub. That's amazing. Those Portuguese tarts, they were amazing. You know, yeah. Yeah, when, you hear, when you hear one of my dad jokes, you think, that's amazing. Right? If, if two vegans are in an argument, is it still called a beef? No. <laughs> yeah, anyway. <laughs> Paul's not amazed in a good way. He's amazed in the way that when you see something horrific, you can't look away. You see someone walking towards the edge of a cliff, oblivious to it because they're taking selfies. Right? More bushwalkers die around the world from taking selfies and walking over cliffs than anything else. If you were there watching, you'd be screaming out. Right? Or when you're watching aircraft fly into the World Trade Center. I remember that night, like it was yesterday, I sat up with 10 friends all night watching replay after replay and thinking, what is next? And some of them in the room were Americans. And their outrage was palpable they were demanding immediate retaliation on whoever did this which they were convinced were arabs right they, they just went there just like the outrage of the parents who'd unwittingly fed their babies doctored milk powder that's the amazement that paul's feeling it's a horrified astonishment he's flabbergasted he's flummoxed he's floored by what's happening in Galatia. Because the Christians there who had embraced the gospel of God with joy, who'd received the grace of God, who'd been brought to life by the power of God and were living to the glory of God, were now abandoning the source of it all by turning to a fake gospel, one with no power to save. And so let's just see what he says about the uniqueness of the gospel. Verse 6. I'm amazed you're so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse beyond him. 
As we've said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse beyond him. There is only one gospel that's true and they have swallowed a fake hook, line and sinker. A fake which is a distortion, which is contrary to what they had received. In fact, look at what he says happens when you believe a fake. I'm amazed you're so quickly turning away, not just from the message, but you're turning away from him who called you by his grace. It's not Paul they've abandoned, but God. It's not the brothers with Paul they've deserted, but God. It's not their denomination they're deserting, but God. When you turn to a different gospel, when you're persuaded by a distortion of the gospel, you're turning away from God who is the giver of the gospel. You're abandoning God whose power brings grace, salvation and freedom. You're rejecting the one who is glorified by the gospel. And because it's so serious what has happened, Paul's passion just explodes into this condemnation of anyone who'd ever come and undermine, change, alter, distort, modify God's gospel. And here's the full force of his outrage. What does he think should happen to the person who distorts the gospel and preaches a different one? You see there, he repeats it twice. Verse 8, If we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other, contrary to the one we preach to you, a curse be on him. Verse 9, as we said before, I say again, if anyone is preaching you a gospel, contrary to what you receive, a curse be on him. Right? That's, that's what Paul wishes. That's what he wants. That's what he's praying for, a curse to come. And you might not think that being cursed sounds very bad. It might even sound a bit silly, like a, a witch's curse or something like that. And Porter from our 10 o'clock congregation once cursed me with an Arabic curse. May the fleas of a thousand camels infest your armpits. <laughs> You'd have to ask her why she cursed me that way. Um, but it was a joke, right? It's funny. It's, well, at least I hope it's funny. <laughs> but here in Galatians, it is no joke at all. The word he uses, I mean, you can see it in the footnote of your Bible. Oh, hang on, what are we doing here? Oh, we've gone crazy the one that we're talking about curse yeah, at the end that one there you go is the word anathema that's the word he uses uh, it means to be under God's eternal curse it means he's wishing them to be condemned to hell may they burn in the darkest pit reserved for all the enemies of God and burn forever under his judgment. And you might feel, well, that's a bit strong. That's a bit over the top. Maybe you're wondering if that sounds very Christian at all. Aren't Christians supposed to be into grace and forgiveness and loving everyone? How can Paul wish that on anyone? Well, it's actually because of love for people that Paul wishes it because those who would deliberately or inadvertently preach another gospel than the true one are sending people to hell themselves. That's where they are leading people, that's where they are turning people, they are barring the way to life 
when someone preaches lies from the pit of hell, they are leading people straight to hell and they can go to hell as far as he's concerned. He's not saying it because he's a hater or because he doesn't like having competitors or he's not trying to try and emotionally manipulate the church by using strong language. See verse 10, he's not interested in pleasing people at all. He's only playing to an audience of one. He only cares what God thinks of him. From am I now trying to persuade people or God? Am I trying to striving to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is what the servant of Christ does. He stands up and says, this is true and that is a lie. He's not after praise, he's not after fame, he's not after wanting to be more well-liked or get a bigger paycheck. His conscience is bound by God. He is a messenger sent by Jesus Christ himself. He is an ambassador with a gospel, the gospel, the only gospel, the unique gospel. And he says it does not matter one whit, one iota, who the person is who distorts the gospel. It doesn't matter what status they have, what position they hold, whether they go by your grace or what track record they have or how glorious they might appear, even if it's us here, even if it's an angel from heaven. Anyone who distorts God's message is anathema. And he's not going to hold back in order to show us exactly what distortions people were teaching the Galatian churches and leading them astray as we we plan, we're going to find out exactly who these people are and exactly what they're saying. He's going to name names, which as it turns out, are the same kind of distortions that are still being made in the church today. They may be different in the details, but they're exactly the same lies from the pit of hell, exactly the same poison has been put in the same in the spiritual milk powder which is why we need this letter and God has been so gracious to us in giving it to us as part of his word the Bible because here are the tools to be able to spot a fake a mile off ourselves here's how to smell the stench of sulfur wafting out of a false gospel here's the tactics that manipulators use so that we can take stock and guard ourselves, but also so that we can guide and guard others and so that we can hold out God's glorious and wonderful gospel and bring his grace and peace and life to others. Now, it just may be that you've never embraced this gospel before. Somehow, you've just missed it all, that it's about grace and it's all from God and or, you know, you've been blinded to it. I want to urge you to make this the day that you receive God's grace, that you receive his peace, that you receive Jesus. Let him bring you out from under the judgment and open your eyes and give you a new life. Maybe you're someone, though, who's had it before, but you've walked away, like the Galatians. You've abandoned Christ, whether for a distortion or for something fleeting or because someone's ticked you off in the church you used to go to, (laughs) Come back. Paul's appealing to the Galatians because they've walked away and he's saying, come back, there's still hope, there's still time. Come and receive Christ again. But if you do belong to Christ, and I look around the room and I see many dear brothers and sisters in Christ, you're so glad for his grace, you're at peace with him, you know 
his power that's rescued you from this present evil age, then can I say, let no one steal this gospel from you by their lies. Stake yourself on the gospel. Be like the psalmist in Psalm 19. Here are the precious words I need from God. And always test what you hear by scriptures, even if it's me telling you. God's word is right. Test everything you hear and stick with Jesus. Father, these are powerful words. And we pray that this term, even today, that you might be at work in our lives. Help us to be able to smell a distortion from a mile off and know what to do about it. Help us to love your ways, your gospel, your people. Help us to protect others who are being led astray. Help us to know how to deal with those who are infiltrating. Help us to know how to respond. And help us to know how to take this glorious gospel to a world so broken and divided in such desperate need, living in this present evil age, that you might bring life, you might break through the darkness and you might give hope and grace and peace in your power to those who need it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.